Thanks, Anne. Hi, nice to see you all. If you're new, I'm Cooper. Nice to meet you. Howdy. Uh, today, we have gone right to the end of Job for the second sermon in my little mini-series here. Uh, this is the epilogue, so this happens a bit after the rest of the story. Um, but before we get into the text, I wanted to start by asking, have you ever had a pet die? This is me. Uh, maybe when you were young, like me, you had a dog or a cat or a turtle or a guinea pig. I know I went through enough guinea pigs in my childhood that you could probably write a true crime podcast about me. It's very suspicious. But when your parents try and replace that pet, it's never quite the same, especially by the seventh guinea pig. Uh, you know, that new cat or dog or guinea pig might be great, but spot two or lucky two or patch two through seven cannot replace what is gone. I think that's patch the third up there. Rest in peace. But for Job, what he lost was more than a pet. He lost his sons and his daughters. I think it feels a bit wrong to even think about replacing a person, right? It makes me feel a bit sick talking about it right now. I think this is part of what makes this restoration of Job, you know, so tough to swallow on some level. It looks great at first. He has lost his fortune and he gets it back twice over. He's lost his livestock and he gets that back and so much more. He lost his joy and he gets that back. But he lost his children and he doesn't get them back. Pray with me and we can make sense about how this could be a happy ending or how this could be a part of God's plan. Uh, dear God, please be with me in our spirit as I take us through this passage. Please be with everyone here also, moving in their hearts as we look at a challenging and sometimes confusing piece of scripture. Help us see ourselves in something from long ago and help us see the continuous thread of your work then, in your work now. Amen. Well, before we get to the end and get into Job's restoration, I want to talk about how Job got there. I have three R's for us to go through to understand how that happened. Repentance, redemption, and restoration. We see Job go through each of these in that order, and they all make better sense together. So, starting from the beginning, the first R, repentance. The first thing Job does here, being told by God how much he doesn't understand, is uh, to turn around and repent from that, like we talked about in my last sermon. He admits that God is right and that he is wrong, in verses 1 to 6, saying... I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes." There's a lot going on here worth unpacking. First, Job has realised a lot of what we talked about last week. He knows that he has made demands for answers from God that he shouldn't have, and he hasn't had the trust in God that he should have. I'm not going to go over this one again because we talked about it pretty extensively last week, but I think what's important here is that Job has turned away from that. Until now, Job has had a bit of tunnel vision, so focused on his problems in the moment that he hasn't been able to see God and hasn't tried to. So the first step in his repentance here, naturally, is taking a step back. This is what verse 5 is talking about. 
Job has known about God, but now he knows God personally and knows and understands God so much better. Job has heard about God, but now he truly sees God. Not just physically sees God, but sees God in his creation and his works too, I think. He has a better sense of who God is to see God truly. Before this, Job was complaining about these things he thought he saw or understood. Now that he sees them and understands them a bit better, having spoken to God, he's done a full 180 and realised he doesn't understand and never did at all. That is a crazy thing to try and comprehend, you know, the idea that the more you know about something, the more you realise you don't know anything about it. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect, that's what it's called, and it's the idea that as you find out more or get better at a particular skill or learn more about a particular topic, you realise the breadth of it and realise that you know nothing. Think of it like this. You could think that you are the world's best farmer because you raise the fattest pigs you've ever seen, but they are still only the fattest pigs that you have ever seen. So if one day you went and visited a farm two towns over, and saw they had even fatter pigs than you did, you would be shocked. Then you realise that this other farm has all kinds of animals you've never heard of. Cows, goats, donkeys, chickens. At that point, you would probably realise you're not a very good farmer at all. So, like the pig farmer, Job has learnt enough to identify how wrong he was and then repent of it. If you're like me, you feel a bit bad for him, you probably even want to cut Job a bit of slack. Part of me feels like he's being too hard on himself there in verse 6. Part of me knows that's probably because I'm also often too proud to turn away from my own sins and I want to justify his actions. I think that's true for all people. It's very hard to look at ourselves and admit we've done wrong to one another, let alone done wrong to God. It's easy to ignore these things when we're not face to face with God like Job was. But we will be one day, and we'll have to give an account for our actions and our words. So like Job, we should step back now and identify these sins in our lives. We all do it in church during confession time or communion that we'll have coming up in our prayers, but we see here just how important and crucial this is. So like Job, we should do it in our own time. Maybe you can find a time at the end of your Bible reading or during your prayers, during your personal time with God to just take an account of your life and think, you know, where have I not done what I should have or where have I done what I shouldn't have? Why would you want to do that? Because it is the first step to the next star, redemption. From verse 7 to 9, addressing redemption, we have this. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has done. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuvite and Zophar the Nemethite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. God accepts that Job has spoken the truth through his repentance, and through that repentance he is redeemed. 
redeemed, meaning that where Job has gone wrong, it won't be counted against him by God anymore. Job's friends, on the other hand, still need to be made right with God. These friends haven't really come up this week uh, or last week much in the passages we've looked at, but almost the majority of the text of Job is these friends talking to him. Job's friends come along to try and comfort him and pretty much immediately drop the ball on that. They start lecturing him and accusing him instead. They end up telling Job things that are wrong about God. They misinterpret things in his life and they speak on things they shouldn't have as if they have authority. All of these things hurt God and so in order to be redeemed and to not have this counted against them, they need repentance. And looking at verse 9, it sounds like they listen to God, a sign of their repentance. But when there's sin involved, it's not just a matter of listening and moving on. In Job's time and through the Old Testament, this was done with sacrifice. Normally people would sacrifice an animal to God and it would be as if that animal had taken the punishment for them so that the consequence was fulfilled and the person could be redeemed instead. Interestingly, here, after the sacrifice, we see Job praying for his friends on their behalf. Job, who is in good standing with God, can act as an intercessor, someone who intervenes on behalf of people to God. And I think the reason that God does this here is because this is pointing forward to the relationship that we have with God now. We have an intercessor of our own, Jesus Christ, who came down to people and changed the way that we would relate to God forever. He did that by also becoming a sacrifice himself, dying on the cross as a sacrifice so precious and so monumental that it was the final one that would ever be needed. We don't get up and take a sheep or a goat and kill it now to take our punishment because our punishment has already been taken on by God himself. And for us, this means that like Job and his friends, once we repent, we are already redeemed. When we accept this as true, Jesus bridges that gap between us and God caused by our own sin so that our sin is not counted against us in the eyes of God. This step needs to be in the middle. Without repentance and admitting our wrongs, how could we know that we need it to be made right? If we refuse to accept our sinfulness, what would we think we were even being redeemed from? As much as I think repentance is hard and a hard place to start, I think redemption can actually be hard too. It's challenging to not get caught in the weight of our sins, feeling like something we've done is just too bad for God to forgive, or that we've fallen into the sin, too, same sin too many times to be forgiven once again. We feel guilty for things God isn't even counting against us anymore, and that guilt can often lead us into more sin. But the good news is that Jesus' sacrifice was final. It covers all sin, past, present, and future. We don't need to worry about running out of goats to sacrifice. That's great. But more importantly, we can really, truly not hold on to our own sins if we repent of them. Because God has not. If you're someone who struggles to do that and to let go of that when you look at yourself, and I think in some way that is probably all of us, let me encourage you to keep praying about it first, and secondly, to keep spending time in God's word learning or reminding yourself about Jesus. Learn about how he could forgive anyone and everyone who truly repented, but also about how he could love them and value them from there for who God had made them. That's a challenge, absolutely, and I think 
part of this is how hard we find it to be like Job ourselves. See, Job has it on God's authority that his friends have done him wrong, but he doesn't hold it against them at all. I think if God had a one-on-one with me, came down and told me that I was so right and everyone else was so wrong, I would be milking that for all it is worth. I find it hard to let things go now, let alone, you know, if I had God backing me up. But Job is a much better man than me. He doesn't say a word about it and even does the prayer for his friends. They've wronged him and he intervenes for them. Job is genuinely concerned about their spiritual well-being. Does that sound like your friendships? It's easy for us to get caught in the traps of just making small talk about our jobs, our weekends, how many guinea pigs we've killed, that kind of thing. And that's great because that is friendship. But do we also make time to ask our friends how their relationship with God is, how their prayer life is, how their Bible reading is going? feels a bit invasive almost. I think those can be some very loaded questions. But asking something like that can be the world of difference to someone who needs it. To know that someone cares about what's going on between you and God is already great, let alone then having a trusted Christian friend who can help walk you through that, helping you reconcile things between you and God. So can I also encourage you to talk to your Christian brothers and sisters, yes, about your friendships, but also about being Christian. And if they need someone to talk to about something, maybe you could be their Job, helping them get back on track with God. Why would you do that? Well, it leads to the last R, restoration. Read with me from verses 10 to 17. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him, and each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hopuk. In all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children, four generations. And Job died old and full of days. So, God has restored Job. The sufferings he was facing, he's over, and he's got more than he ever had. Job is surrounded by good community and family. He has a house again, and he has great fortune. He has more animals than he ever had, and more um, farmland. He has new children, and sees them live out many years of their lives. And Satan, who brought all this on Job, who tried and failed to make him stumble in his faith, is nowhere to be seen. Just like God didn't punish Job for any wrongdoing, though, God did not restore Job for being good. We don't actually have an explanation in the text as to why, but presumably God simply wanted to do it, and he certainly has the right to. I think God also genuinely loves and cares for Job, 
And so this is why we see this go beyond just a restoration of what Job once had into a blessing of abundance and so much more, purely given from the grace and love of God. I haven't forgotten about my guinea pigs. I'm sure I haven't let you forget. This is where they come in. See, Job's restoration gives back everything that he had lost and more, except for one thing, his original sons and daughters. Like I said, Job has new ones, but this isn't quite the restoration we see with everything else he gets back. I'm sure this is still devastating for him, having had this loss. I cannot imagine how painful it must be to lose a child, and this is probably one of the worst sadnesses that we could possibly face in this life. But, and this is a good thing to have a but on, Job was a good man who was obedient to God. We know that. And presumably, he raised his sons and his daughters the same way. Well, for followers of God, we know that death is not the end. We, like Job, have a life waiting for us after death where we'll be reunited with God and reunited with one another in a physical sense. Job's restoration here on earth is only a taste of this restoration that he still had to come. He will have something worth more than the gold or the silver or the animals. He will have a family bigger, bigger than his sons and daughters or their brothers and sisters and a place in a house greater than the one God has given him. And presumably, Job's sons and daughters will be there too, reunited with him. The comfort is that death is not the end for Job's sons and daughters. And for anyone who trusts God and accepts him as a Christian, death is also not the end. This is where your restoration is too. When you've repented and been redeemed before God, you are welcomed in to a place in the next life with him. You might not have the same taste of it that Job did on earth, but what you have is so, so much more. To be in heaven with God forever, safe from all the sufferings that we face now, safe from any of the sufferings that Job faced, where Satan is once again defeated. That is a perfect restoration. This is how God wants things to be. That's why it is called a restoration, because we're being restored to how God has meant things to be, just like how Job was and will be. And this is why repentance and redemption are so, so worth it, because the restoration is so amazing. But God has gone further and done the hard parts for us, sacrificing his own son to make it possible for us to repent and be redeemed, because he's inviting everyone into that great restoration too, and has made it as accessible as possible. Of course, there is still sadness now. In the meantime, no question. I'm sure Job misses his sons and his daughters, and I'm sure there is a deep hurt there. I don't want to downplay that. But I do want to say that despite the pain, Job knows that God had a plan for him. And you know that through Jesus, God has a plan to save you from all your suffering too. Job knows that God can and does restore. The sadness of being separated from his first sons and daughters the joy of knowing God for Job is knowing that separation is not forever. And for Christians, that's true for all of us. It hurts to lose the people we love in this life, but it feels good to know that we will see them again forever. We want ourselves to have this, but this shows how much we need other people to have it too. There is so much joy and excitement in knowing the people you love will be there, enjoying that blessing of God too. 
This life we have now is only temporary. The life that we might be too scared to invite people into, that is forever. So let's treat it that way. Let's be a Job for one another. Helping one another trust God and interceding in each other's lives is, is helpful so that we can repent when we sin and be redeemed to be in that redemption together. Let's not downplay the good of heaven or the work of Jesus to justify our fear of sharing it. Sorry. But let's be set on fire to share how God has made that redemption happen for us on the cross already with the people who we want to see alongside us one day in heaven, praising God. I look forward to seeing you all there. Let me pray. God, help us to be more like Job. Bring us to repent when we need in the face of our pride. Let us trust in your redeeming work through Jesus and how it is enough. And keep us fixed on your restoration of us in the life to come. Inspire us to act on behalf of our friends and family. Move us to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ and keep kindling their faith as they kindle ours. And for the people we know who don't know you, let us be bold in our words and actions to make you known. Let's take a moment now and bring before God someone in your life who you could be doing one of these things for. Father God, we commit these people to you in prayer, asking boldly that if it is your will, you would use us for your glory to be seen in their lives. Amen. Thanks.